Hey guys, what's going on? I'm doing something different here today. Um, we're we're driving back from Milwaukee. We're in the great city of Dubuque as we start this road trip podcast. It's a joint venture between the good people at the Ames Tribune and us here at CycloneFanatic.com. Uh, Travis Hines and I, uh, he's driving right now. So he's not doing anything illegal. It's just like a normal conversation we would have. We just crushed the Platteville, Wisconsin Walmart, stocked up on Spotted Cow, and now we head back to Des Moines. Hey, Travis. I I don't want to know, but I would be curious of how much money we spent on Spotted Cow in the last five days. Because we both <laughs> just spent a combined like 120 bucks on it at that Walmart. And newsflash we spent some money on it this week uh, in the city of milwaukee too yeah i, I don't know if i want to know i thought oh. about putting the this latest venture on the credit card that my wife doesn't check the statements but i uh, ended up just putting it on that one anyway and then i i had to buy another six pack for good measure <laughs> at the at the gas station but it was it was moon man moon man i've never had it so. It's, it's still a new Glarus, which is who makes uh, Spotted Cow. I think it's got a uh, it's got an argument that it's actually the superior beer what? To, to Spotted Cow. I think I'll be the judge of that. You will be the judge of that. You've got you got plenty to to, to do the taste test. I don't know. Right I don't even want to think about Spotted Cow right now. Like I honestly, like I don't know if I'm even going to open that case for two weeks. I've, I'm kind of in the same the same vein, but you can't get it anywhere but here so yeah you, you don't to. stock up you're yeah. being irresponsible it, and if there's anything we're not or that we are <laughs> it's responsible drinkers so that's that's had to follow through with public that. service announcement here yeah. no i uh by the time march ends and if you by the way i mean we'll we're gonna talk iowa state obviously <laughs> but this is a really like we're just gonna have fun with this so if you guys are if you're looking for like hardcore X's and O's, this might not be your stop, but I'm sure we'll get it. I think we'll probably get there. Yeah, we'll get to that too. This is just, honestly, Travis and I want to kill time. <laughs> this is about us, not yeah. about the listeners. Yeah, this is has absolutely nothing to do with you guys. Um, I guess uh, we both wrote, I thought similar columns that came at it from different places, obviously, but I think we reached the same conclusion on last night's it wasn't about last night's game it was about just the the era and then i think that we could also get into the game as well but you what are your reflections from what you saw yeah i mean i think there's plenty to talk about that game but i would imagine most people are interested because this is this is a bookend of an era i mean i think Mm -hmm. you know i think in every we've all written that and i think when i've written it and i think when you've written it we've been careful to say that doesn't mean that this is the end of success for Iowa State or that the program's not going to continue to move forward. I, I think it's in a good spot. I mean, I think they've got challenges ahead of them, like any program. But when we talk about the end of an era, it's this group of guys matriculating through have done so much for Iowa State, and obviously they're linked to Fred Hoiberg, which is the genesis of this era. But whatever goes forward is probably not going to be as good as the last six years if you use history as your judge. And I'm not saying that they can't go to another Sweet 16 or go to a Final Four, even win a national championship, but the idea that it'll be as consistently high level as it's been for six years 
is probably, I mean, if they do it, great for them, great for Steve Prohm, great for the players he's recruits. But in 120 years or however long it's been of Iowa State basketball, you can make the argument and probably pretty convincing that the last six were as good as it's ever been. And I think that that should be celebrated. Um, and it's it, Steve Prohm should get a ton of credit for keeping it going. Those players should get a ton of credit for for last year and for this year winning a Big 12 title, um, doing everything that they did. You know, to be four points away from another Sweet 16 against a good Purdue team. You know, it's it's interesting, and we talked about it a little bit before we started. It's not all only about people can like hear me turning the blinker. That's on okay. Stuff. That's the glory of this. <laughs> um, that was a great pass, by the yeah. way. I. It's not just the, the team accomplishments. It's the guys that they've had, you know, that are really to have guys like George Niang and Monte Morris be on the same team for three years. Two guys that are going to have their jerseys retired at some point um, is pretty remarkable. And it's, that, it's, yeah. it's been just it's been a great six years for Iowa State basketball. That's the thing too. It's like you there's even when they were losing, like there were great players. Craig Brackens was a great player, uh, but to be able to put them all together the way that they did and I don't know I think what what stands out to me about Monte Matt and Nas specifically and then Deontay to a lesser degree because he wasn't there for as long but none of those guys are you know none of these are lottery picks right absolutely they feel like they they had their success because of that bond that they had together and I, even Mont—I mean, Monte is the highest level guy. I mean, NBA guy. But he, you know, he was better because of those guys, and, and vice versa. And that was the the deal with me last night. It's like I don't know when 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 Edgem graduated. You're like, oh man, more years of Niang. When Niang's gone. I think we had a pretty good idea Monte Morris was coming back, and you knew that you'd have Naz and Matt. Now it's like, man, there's, there's, it's, it's Donovan Jackson and Nick Weiler Babs team, and you know, like it's. Oh, with all due respect to those two, yeah, but it's not George Niang and Monte Morris. Correct. So, and who knows? Maybe they, and maybe Wigginton comes in, and I have no idea. I'm not even really thinking about next year yet. I guess I'm kind of just trying to in my mind puts put into perspective what we just saw last night and what we've what we've seen for the last six years i um the guy who i just i've really grown to adore as a basketball player is burton he used to drive me nuts watching him play and he still kind of does but i also think that's his charm like he he's just like a he's like a lab puppy man with huge feet you just run you know what i mean and like he Last night, like, it would have been so epic, man, if they would have finished that comeback. The, just the way, like, he would have been all over the place with what he was doing to Swanigan in the second half. Well, I, I tweeted this, like, normally when he does the, the one-on-one offense, it drives me nuts because, A, it's bad basketball for the most part. Correct. It's inefficient, and I don't particularly enjoy watching that style of play. But the way that he was doing it to Swanigan last night, was the best offense Iowa State could have 
because he was being he was amazing. I mean, he was he was getting whatever he wanted against a first team All American. You know, that is yeah. some people's national player of the year. And he was getting whatever he wanted. And that block that he had on him oh with my like God. eight seconds left was astounding. I mean, I I don't know if Deontay Burton's going to be an NBA draft pick. But, like, if he is, it might be because of that game. Do you think he – that is interesting because I got a couple tweets about that after the game with fans wanting to know if he played his way into it. And that, I don't think you can play your way into it from one game, but you can get somebody's attention in one game. And – that was damn impressive. So, what do you what will you guess right now? Day after the season, do do you think he'll get drafted? I I would guess no, just because like there's so many question marks of what. Uh, oh, what? Tell me to go down a dirt road, but we're gonna do it. This is dangerous. <laughs> so I thought you were getting pulled over. Oh, you did. <laughs> so so why did you just turn onto this dirt road? The GPS told me to. It's not a dirt road. So we're all right. But anyway. Did it just change our uh, distance until we're there? No, we're good. All right. Um, I think I missed a turn like a mile ago. Oh, That's okay. what happened. Well, um, maybe if we weren't podcasting, yeah, that would have happened. You said we weren't breaking any laws. We're not breaking any laws. against the law. Um, Burton. Burton. I think that's six Burton foot NBA. four. At six foot four, he's going to have a really hard time. But obviously, the league is trending in a direction that would be very good for him because of his versatility. And the thing that is really going to intrigue teams is that wingspan, because his arms are so long, so that even at six foot four, he can guard guys like Caleb Swanigan because he's strong, and because he can contest their shots and make things tough for them defensively because his arms are so long. But I think he's probably more likely a, a training camp invite, a, a, a summer league guy. But you never know. At this time last year, I didn't think Abdul Nader was going to get drafted, and I certainly didn't peg him to have the D-League season that he's had where he's killing it. So if Deontay can have a good spring and a good summer, I think he's got a shot. Who, who lasts longer in the league, Niang or Nader? No, man, that's a tough one. That's what I do. I ask the hard yeah, questions. Well, I th- it's hard. It's because, hard to say, especially because we haven't really seen George play. Yeah, exactly. In the NBA, I mean, obviously we haven't seen Abdul, but the way that he's putting up numbers in the D League, I think is a pretty good indication that he's going to get a shot. I'm going to lean Niang, um, but I think that it wouldn't shock me if Nader is making an impact in the NBA before Niang does. I can see Niang being. You know, you look back at the career of somebody like Fred Hoiberg, who basically didn't play for five years until he went to the Bulls. Um, I could see that kind of trajectory where he's he's such a good locker room guy. He's a good practice guy um, that teams will keep him even if he's not necessarily producing on the court. <laughs> I'm a little um, – I'm interested to see him. Bert. I, I think that if the right team falls in love with him, I think Burton can play. I really do. I'm, I'm, I, 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 of all those guys, I want to see Burton one more year in the Iowa State uniform just because he was just kind of becoming the guy who – you saw it last night. Like we've talked about it, we talked about it all off season that Burton was going to be the X factor, and you've seen it in big games this year. In order for Iowa State to hit that ceiling, he had to be playing at that level. And and they weren't very good for 30 minutes last night, but the 10 minutes that they were were good. My God, that was beautiful basketball. I mean, when they hit him with that flurry of threes, or I think it was a 7-0 run, it was like, where the hell had this been for 30 yeah. minutes? Because that's. That's the Iowa State basketball that we've seen over the last few years where 
that go from so bad to so good so quickly that I think like and we saw it with Purdue where they started to melt down I think they were just taken so off guard by all of a sudden there's this offensive juggernaut that a minute ago was so clunky and now they're just canning everything they throw up yeah that that's why I, that 10 minute stretch is what I thought we would see from the get-go and that's why I picked Iowa State to win last night I I was a little taken aback by their lack of aggressiveness early with Purdue uh, especially those bigs. I would have loved to have seen Burton be more aggressive off the dribble early in that game. Um, you you, you got to give Prom credit for making the, the switch. I think that if I think when Coach goes back and watches the tape, he'll probably wish he would have done it earlier. Having said that, it's also against that team a semi-scary move to make as well. I think for for a coach. But uh, man, Burton was fantastic during. I, I, I'm looking forward to going back and watching that that 10 minute stretch. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching the whole game because, like, I know people make fun of me for this and are gonna laugh and are, don't like listening to it. But when we're on those late night games, it's really hard to pay super close attention to the X's and O stuff because absolutely it is. You're, you're thinking about your deadline and how you gotta you know put something coherent on the page uh, really quickly in a lot of these no, circumstances. Absolutely. So I'm really looking forward to going back and and really figuring out what went wrong early and what went right late. But I think Steve on the podium said, you know, you wonder if he should have gone to that small lineup sooner. And I mean, I think the answer is yes, because we, but we, we can say that now knowing how it turned out. Yeah. But I think... If they did make a mistake, it was when he was trying to think probably with like six minutes left in the first half when he was searching for something. Instead of going to that small lineup, he went to Nick Weiler-Babb to try to get a spark. And I think that was probably where the mistake was, where you should have tried to go with that lineup there because you knew going in that the key was going to be to spread him out. Yes. And I think that maybe they tried to have their cake and eat it too a little bit by doing that with Solomon Young. But what we saw was, and we saw this right away, is that they tried to get Solomon Young into uh, put him in pick-and-roll situations a lot with Swanigan to get Swanigan to switch on to Monte. Well, all Purdue did was hedge hard and said, okay, if Solomon Young beats us, so be it. Yep. And Solomon Young was not able to do that, nor would you expect him to be able to do that. You know, he had a couple looks by the basket that didn't go, and sometimes when he caught it, he was just indecisive with it, which is what's going to happen with a freshman in that kind of situation. So I, I think I think they, they could have done it earlier. I think they should have done it earlier, but again, it's easy for me to say that, you know, knowing how it turned out. But I think when, when Steve and the rest of his staff goes back, that'll be the thing that they're kicking themselves about, uh, you know, what they could have done better. After the game, I... Um... I haven't had a chance to write about this yet because it's just, it hasn't been time. But I, I spoke with Donovan Jackson. And, I, you know, as we kind of turn the page and look ahead to next year. I mean, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not ready to be like, uh, to put any expectations on the season one way or another. I do know that this young man thinks that, I think that in Donovan Jackson's mind, he's the best player on this team. I think you're probably right. I, I mean, he. I love Donovan Jackson. He. I mean, what kind of guy you know? 
who plays like 14, 15 minutes a game, whatever it is, hits threes and then, you know, does the motion like he has giant testicles. I love that. And he he was pretty awesome after the game last night. He, I asked him what Monte's taught him. And paraphrasing, he's like, you got to be a dog. Monte's a dog. You always got to be a dog. And I mean, he was like pissed and ready to go for next year um, and to me that sets the tone for the offseason at least you have a guy who I mean I don't know how good of a clubhouse guy Donovan is I mean he hasn't really had a chance to prove himself in that capacity yet with all those seniors this year but that's where it starts it starts with him as the core I think and um, and obviously Solomon Young and you have a nice little start at the post uh, I think Weiler Babb is really the X factor to, to next year at this point, I mean, he's got to have a huge offseason, I think, if Iowa State wants to make a run at another NCAA tournament. Um, you got to wait on Wigginton, obviously, and I, I think he'll turn out. I think he can win with that guy. But then um, they've got a lot of scholarships to fill in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think – I mean, if they can make a run at the NCAA tournament next year, like pay prom $3.5 million a year. Like, I just – I would agree. I don't think that team is going to be equipped to do that, and I think that's okay. What if what if Scott Drew leaves Baylor and Oklahoma State implodes? I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud because I, I think the strength of the Big 12 is a huge key to that. Oklahoma would be better. Oklahoma's going to be better. Texas, Texas is, is going to be better. I think Texas Tech could be better. They will be. TCU should be better. TCU should be better, and, like, I just – I don't think that I just don't see how it's going to happen, and I could I could be wrong. It wouldn't be the first time. I just I don't think there's going to be enough talent and experience on the team. Um, you know, maybe Wigginton comes in and this is awesome. Maybe Solomon Young all of a sudden looks like Caleb Swanigan, or he uh, kind of does look like Swanigan, like their face. Yeah, the, Solomon's mean, a lot better body. He, yeah, but uh, yeah. Swanigan like he, he uses what he's got. Pretty he damn does. well. So I don't, I don't know. He's I mean, an I interesting think, story, that kid. Yeah. To me, if they make the NIT next year, that's a successful year. Um, depending on how they fill out the roster, but you got like they're literally turning over half the roster. They have six. They have six graduating seniors, and every year there's attrition. So you're talking about replacing. Watch out, car. Seven, eight, uh, seven or eight guys potentially on this team. Like if you if you have to turn over the roster like that, like unless you're John Calipari, you ain't going to the tournament. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be a rebuilding year. Which again, that's that's fine. That's totally fine. You cannot like at Iowa State, you can have sustained success, but eventually, like you're gonna have to have that dip year. The the key is to not have it sustained more than a year or two. You gotta you drop down and you build back up, and maybe eventually you get to the point where you're always staying at a steady level. But that's even the best programs in the country can't do that over I mean we're talking now the better part of a decade we're over if we were going to round up in years of 10 you're, you're rounding up yeah like so they've been good for a long time and have done it through a coaching change so it's it's fine next year if the NIT is the goal how um, do you think fans will do with that that's a good question I think I worry about that I, I think that's fair I think like what I do think will work for them is I don't think Steve Prohm is going to, you know, be hyping up expectations. I don't think, for the most part, guys in our circles that talk about it are going to be doing anything other than what we're doing right now is setting 
a, rel a, a low bar relative to the last six years. And I think if, if fans hear that message, you know, for the next six months before next year, I think that'll shape expectations. But there will be some people that think the NCAA tournament's entitled to them after this last six years, which obviously it's not. Yeah, I mean, there's the, a lot of the, the younger portion of the fan base. I mean, that, that's all they know. You know? If, yeah, I mean, they, if, like, you, if you just went to college at Iowa State, became an Iowa State fan yeah. five years ago, it's all you know. I mean, like, think about it like this. Last year, George Niang became the first Iowa State player to play in four NCAA tournaments. No player had ever done that before. Yeah, that's incredible. And now there's four guys that have done it uh, because of the three seniors this year. And, you know, Naz Long was on five NCAA tournament teams, only played in four. But, like, that's – they've been really damn good. And it, I think Prom is doing things to sustain that. But, again, like, it doesn't matter who the coach was going to be at Iowa State that this was going to drop off at some point. Um, we, were, we were talking, and this is what – this is what led us to fire up the recorder – about Morris and Niang. And we're trying to figure out in all-time players in Iowa State history where these two rank. Now, before we have the conversation, I think we need to have a preliminary conversation. You gotta have a conversation about the conversation. Correct. On, like, what do you judge by? Like, do you judge by a four-year career? Do you judge by who's just the best player? Do you go off of numbers? Do you go off of I mean, what, like, how, how are we going to do this? I think it is for the purposes of this conversation when we're talking about, you know, really all this is coming in context of the last six years, right? That's kind of what yeah. the genesis of the conversation. So I would say impact on Iowa State. So it's going to be harder for a guy like Royce White or Marcus Pfizer to rank higher. They will still rank high because they're really damn good for a number of years yeah. or one year in Royce's spot. But, like, I would give more weight to a guy like well, Jeff Grayer, Monte Morris, and George Niang that obviously had an impact for longer because they were there for four years. If that's how you put it, Niang's number one. Over uh, Jeff Grayer? I think so. Jeff Grayer scored a lot of damn points. I, I know he did. I know he did. There's a little recency bias here. I, I, I'm fully aware of that. But we're in a different era now. And Niang was able to reach people in ways that Jeff Grayer did not have the opportunity to do. Niang was able to grow the brand, grow the fan base, and he still does it to this day while he's in the NBA. And um, Murph, I, Murph put out a tweet last night with Naz about something like, have you ever seen a guy who loves Iowa State as much Naz and proclaims it? Uh, yeah, one, and it was George Niang, and he's still doing that. He was tweeting during the game last night. Or was he? I missed that. Or he was tweeting... It may have been the Nevada game. It was the Nevada game. Because when Naz hit that three with five minutes to go, George was like, I see you, Nazzy. Like so. But that's why I would put him over that because it not only not only has George done that, but he does it very well. He's so charismatic. He's so likable <coughs> that it's it's really easy to get on board with that guy. And impact on Iowa State, um, as you mentioned, first player to go to four NCAA tournaments. Uh, bridged two eras together really I think is the reason the Hoiberg era the the thing about the Hoiberg era is the transfers were they got their talent to the level where they could compete but it was the four-year guys who were the cornerstones in it and the four-year guys were why it lasted as long as it correct did. without Edgem 
And the transfers are the reason, I think, not the reason, but especially maybe the first three years is why they were they reached the heights. Yeah, you had to get were. talent. Like you had Kane, you had uh, Royce, like those dudes were Chris Babb, Chris Allen, dudes. yeah, Corey Lucius, Will Clyburn. Will Clyburn. God, you go back now and there's just been so many good ones. It's crazy. And then, man. Like the fact that Corey Lucius and Will Clyburn are like basically footnotes on this era tells you how good these teams have been because those dudes were pretty damn good. Yeah. They won a tournament game and probably should have won two tournament games and then no, who knows what happens. Which, you was know, that the that was the Aaron Kraft game? That was right? the Aaron Kraft three point. Which they had Bab not gotten hurt, I still think they win. Had Bab not gotten hurt, had that charge call, which was yeah. awful, not Bad, occurred. Yeah. Um, and then, like, actually, the right, if I recall correctly, and it's been four years, so don't, I think I'm right here, is that before Kraft hit the three, Ohio State had put up a shot and missed, and it went out of bounds off Iowa State. Like, right. they could have gotten the rebound, gotten the ball, and gone down and won the game. So, like, that game was... Speaking of rebounds, what about that Swanigan rebound? That's, I can't wait throw. to go watch that again because, like, that dude came from the opposite block to get that long rebound. I mean, he is maybe the best offensive rebounder in college basketball, so he should get credit. But that that was a backbreaker for Iowa State. Like, they, they could have came down and won the game. So, would you put Grayer over Niang? I mean, it's hard to say because, like, when Jeff Grayer graduated, I was two years old. And, uh, I well, didn't, yeah, there's recency bias yeah. here by me for sure. I think, and some of it, and like I've, I've written a couple of stories about those 80s teams, so I have a little bit of perspective here, and I get the feeling that Grayer is criminally underrated with this fan base. And I don't know why, but I, like he's the leading scorer. Like as a freshman on the first NCAA tournament team in 41 years, the dude put up 7 or 12 and 8. Like, he was really good, and then yeah. obviously the next three years he was, you know, a scoring machine. So, Let me ask I guess I don't know. I, like, I don't have an answer, especially for for Grayer, because I wasn't around, and I, you know, barely knew Iowa State existed until 2009 when I moved here for work. So I don't have the, the full breadth of everything, you know, that some of your, your older listeners and my older listeners Yeah, n- n- nor do I. Yeah. I want to make that yeah. clear. Like I, I wasn't around. Like I, I'm, I'm penalizing Grayer for something he could not control, yeah. and that was just the era, of the time of that he played it. And but you look at everything <laughs> that Niang did, and I mean, like the other part of the conversation is that when you talk about George Niang, you're kind of talking about Fred Hoiberg at the same time. Yeah, that's and, the follow up I was going to have here. And the like the other thing, like of where like Fred ranks. As a player, I, I don't know. Probably pretty damn but high. But how do you separate Bloomberg the player, and a coach? Well, that's what I was going to say is that if you want to talk about the people that have had the biggest impact on Iowa State as a program, it's Fred Hoiberg. Or maybe Johnny Orr, but like no. Fred Hoiberg as a player and coach is probably the guy. I love Johnny but, Orr. Yeah, but what? here's the other part. Like, do you get Fred Hoiberg without Johnny Orr? Does Fred Hoiberg go play quarterback for Tom Osborne? Johnny Orr is not the coach at Iowa State. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> we're, we're way deep man. down the rabbit yeah. hole here. Well, I mean, jeez. If you're going – if we're changing the conversation to the individual <laughs> who has had the most positive impact on Iowa State basketball, the answer is Fred Hoiberg, and there is no conversation to be had, period. However, like if you're just talking about a player, if you're not – 
then I think it's Neil. And John, here's the deal with Johnny. Like, his record really isn't even that great. They, they never won on the road. Yeah, they never, never did. So, <laughs> but again, like but that, that aura, 85 team was the first tournament team in 41. I years. get it. And then when he, when he went there, it it was a power move. Yeah, it was a power move at that point. Yeah, to go get him from Michigan. Yeah, and pay him. Like they paid him more than they like. I think Michigan was paying him like 36. Iowa State paid him 45 grand a year. Yeah, I just looked this up. That's wow. why I know that. That's in, that, that's yeah. pretty incredible, actually. It's a little bit like uh, what Illinois did to Oklahoma State. Yeah, it really is. It, if like it would be more apt if it was Underwood going from Illinois to Oklahoma State. Yeah, like okay. that would be what because it, Illinois is a bigger. Yes, program, exactly. Right? Like that would be the equivalent. Should we go there now? Do we want to go there? Or are you done? With, do you have any other Iowa State thoughts? Well, I mean, we I, didn't like you, we didn't even touch on like Royce or Pfizer in this conversation oh, okay. well, about well, which you could speak better to I, than I. No, I, I think that I think Marcus Pfizer is the best player I've ever seen play at Iowa State. Just, just an individual. I think he's the best player I've ever seen. Is I he think their only lottery pick. Yeah, I think so. And I would, only McDonald's All-American, right? Yeah, I would. Yeah, he is. He is that for sure. Because they were hoping Wigginton could get yeah. in there. Um, I think Tinsley's in that conversation. If we're just going off of that, just talented dudes. Yeah. Um. And I mean, Royce was just—he's he, got to be in the talk too. He just has to be. He was just such a freak. Yeah. I, I still, I would take. If, I would take Marcus Pfizer over Royce White any day, though. It would be interesting to know, and like we're, we're like I said, we're deep down the rabbit hole here because I think, and you would speak to this better because I was still at Marshalltown at this point, but I got always got the feeling that the the general thought going into the NCAA tournament in 2012 was that Royce was coming back for another year. Yeah, I think when and he, if he didn't have that game against Kentucky, like, and he comes back for a second year, like he was so damn good that year, like what, what would that team have been like? I don't know, but I had also worried about Royce's head as well. Yeah, I mean, just I, knowing I, how his career has kind of turned out, I just it was just so surreal. He announces he's going pro, and and I'm doing a one-on-one with him afterwards, and he's talking about making documentaries about how he really doesn't love basketball that my, my whole deal is like could they have kept him not like get into trouble I'm not even yeah. saying that could they have the, the thing is with the Hoiberg Abdul Massey they did a really good job of getting through to him like unlike anybody else has been able to do in his basketball career and that was a full time job too I think yes it was I think Abdul Massey probably lost a couple of years off his life for uh I think a couple of years of me being generous at this point. <laughs> yeah, just because, like, and this is, like, Royce is a, a good guy, but, like, he is he is a personality that needed managing to get him pointed in the right direction and moving forward. And I think we've seen that over the last few years uh, with how his career has gone out, where if he doesn't trust people, like, if he doesn't think that you have his best interests in mind, like, it can go sideways quickly. And that's... That's why I, I'm com- not confident, but I believe it would have worked out that second year because he trusted those two guys so much to take care of him and to do what was in his best interest well, at every turn. And let's give him credit, too. He sat out the transfer year. It was fine. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Like I, yeah. think, I think the Royce White that's been the public guy the last, what now, four years or five years is different 
than the Royce that was in Ames for two years. Yeah, or at least I'll buy that. Like it was a muted version of it, and I think a lot of it was. I mean, this is a whole nother podcast, but I think the biggest part of the deal with the Rockets is that he just didn't trust them, and he trusted Fred, he trusted that staff, and that's why it worked at Iowa State. And I, I, I still think he made the right decision in going pro. I mean, he made a ton of money. And I think even if he stayed another year, he was always going to have that problem, that same problem when he got to the NBA. Now we just need the Bulls to draft Monte and sign Royce. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure that they have, that would be a good idea for the Bulls. Make right a now. trade for Niang. What's they, Dedrick people are, Willoughby are, doing? People are already, like, annoyed about how many Iowa State connections there are in Chicago. Oh, I saw some, some jack wagon on Twitter last night, a Bulls fan. And it got retweeted by somebody. I think an Iowa State fan like thought the guy was being serious. It was a Bulls fan going, well, there's our point guard next year, Monte Morris. Was it Ricky O'Donnell? Was that what it was? The SB Nation guy? Yeah, that's who yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. He was being sarcastic. But I think a lot of people thought he was being serious and like cheering, like yeah. hoping that that's their point guard, but that's not how I took it. I, I think you took it probably the correct way. There's, there's a lot of distrust of Iowa State in Chicago right now. Well, I, I can't say I blame them. Well, no. If I, you're just a Bulls fan without any ties to Iowa State, and you know the names Tim Floyd, Gar Foreman, and at this point Fred Hoiberg, and you drafted Marcus Pfizer, like, can you really blame an unbiased Bulls fan for hating Iowa State? I, I think that they, they've got some ammunition for that, uh, that problem. Man, that that's heartbreaking for me too, because I was a Bulls fan way before any of that happened. Well, and it's like it's they're all independent of each other, but it's still well. Like, that's, that's are they though? Thing. Well, like I mean, the Gar is pretty much uh, yeah, he's the kind of the threat. I mean, that's I don't know. I mean, the Bulls are again a whole other podcast because I just that's such a bad situation that was created before Fred got there and like I don't watch enough of the Bulls I try to catch them I don't know you know I've spent way too many brain cells watching that team yeah and it's like it's hard it's hard to watch because the front office just is such a gave him such a mismatched roster and a mismatched locker room I mean that whole Instagram flare up early this year oh my god I mean like there was nothing more predictable than Rajon Rondo being a problem for that team in the locker room and on the floor, I just—it's uh. All right, let's let's have to watch. Let's get into the coaching carousel. I love the coaching. This is carousel. my favorite. This is—I feel bad for how much I like it because I know how like we know a lot of these people in the coaching profession, and it so upsets their lives the way this goes, like their families' lives, you know, their their friends and. But it's still so fascinating. I honestly think it's my favorite thing to talk about. It's so fascinating. Like, I'd rather talk about this than college football, actual games, the draft. I'd rather talk about the coaching carousel and then connect pieces when dominoes start to fall. Well, that's the best part. Like, you just like to go back to how this whole deal got started. Dana Altman going to Oregon is why Iowa State has had the success they've had the last six years. Because that started Mac to Creighton, Fred to Iowa State. It's like it's just so fascinating, dude. And people don't. I don't think. I think it's easy to forget what Iowa State basketball was like before Dana Altman goes to Oregon. Fred or Greg had just brought on Nick Nurse. Who the hell else was um, uh, the old Hampton coach? 
the old Hampton coach. He's with Greg at Creighton now. Pretty sure he was coming to town. The guy who beat Hampton in the 15-2 game. I, I forgot his name. Steve something. I don't know. There's a bunch of Iowa State fans screaming at their radios <laughs> right now. Um, it was such a... I'll, I'll never forget that. I was on my bachelor party in Kansas City. Power and Light District of all places. And I start getting these texts on Saturday night. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Not that I, I didn't really care what happened, but I'm like, this is not going to be good. This is all going to go down. And I'm in, man, by the time Sunday morning, like it, it was on. And I mean, Pollard was essentially handed the gift. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, like, he had, what was it, a week before, two weeks before? I remember being in the press conference. He went to bat for Where he, you know, gave him the vote of confidence. And, I mean, I think Greg obviously made the right choice because I don't oh, yeah. I mean, that uh, the Creighton job, he's done a great job there. You know, Doug had a lot to do with that, but they had a team until it blew up in their face this year that I think was a serious final four contender. Oh, yeah. So, okay, let's start with Underwood leaving. How about that? I... Honestly, I was napping yesterday. I did see your tweet was about two hours later than yeah, and I was. Is. I woke up and I just because a lot of my followers know I'm a big Brad Underwood fan. I, I just have a lot of respect for him. And I I woke up, checked Twitter, and it's just exploded. Um, so I, I I figured that we would see a Brad Underwood contract extension and raise and stuff like that. I never saw that coming. Well, it sounds like Mike Holder royally effed up here. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, um, you, you cannot let Brad Underwood leave without a serious effort to retain him. And they totally did not do that. I mean, the guy won a ton of games. He turned that, like, the second that they got in the NCAA tournament after they started 0-6 or whatever it was in the Big 12, like, announced the, like, double his salary to $2 million. The fact that he, they only paid him $1 million to begin with is why this happened. Like, I was talking to, uh, I can't remember, uh, some Iowa State person. And they could have hired Steve Prohm last year for eight or $900,000 a year. Steve's going to take it because it's a great job, great situation in the Big 12. But he's going to be annoyed that they're only paying him eight or $900,000 which is exactly what happened with Brad Underwood. So the first chance you get, you're gone. That's why Iowa State's paying Steve 1.5 is because it's a show of respect and that you want him here for a long term and that he's a Big 12 coach and Oklahoma State and that they're committed to him and the basketball program. Oklahoma State did the exact opposite by paying Brad Underwood $1 million a year and not stepping up to the plate and giving him a raise in season or at least engage in talks with his agent and say, hey, we know... Brad has done more than enough this year. He's proven himself, and we're going to take care of him. We're going to make him whole. We're going to commit to him and this basketball program. They didn't do any of that, and now he's at Illinois making $3 million a year at a school that has a more recent, more recently, or I guess I'd call it a better job. I know Oklahoma State's been good in the past, but to me, Illinois is a better job. Well, I'm anxious to see where Oklahoma State goes because right now I would guess you have a fan base that's sitting here with – with their fingers up their rears saying, dude. <laughs> Why are their fingers up their rears? Because they're upset. <laughs> That's what you do when you're upset? <laughs> We're just, this podcast just got weird and personal. Fine. It's been a long couple of weeks. 
Um, but like, if you're an Oklahoma State fan, well, one, you you really haven't cared that much. Anyway, you're not going to games anyways. Two, I mean, you, you've been following around a coach who's criminally underachieved over the last decade. You get this guy, things seem pretty good. Holder messes up. It, it'd be hard for me as an Oklahoma State fan to be like real trustworthy of anything that happens going forward. I think that if, if I'm them, I mean, don't you have to give like Tom Crean a call? If he's open, like, to me, like, you've got to do something. Everybody keeps throwing out Doug Gottlieb, and being in the media, I would love that. Doug would be phenomenal to have in the league. I would love that teleconference every Monday. But I almost feel like you got to do some sort of a power move here if you're Oklahoma State, or at least try. It'll be telling what they try to do, whether they actually give a damn about basketball, because going to get... Brad Underwood seemed like they did until you find out the contract terms. To me, the number one call is Buzz Williams at Virginia Tech. But that's going to cost you money. Like, Buzz what, is I not mean, yeah, cheap. What does he got? I, I think like two, five, three, maybe to leave Virginia Tech. But that dude. Are you in better shape with Buzz Williams or Brad Underwood? I would lean Buzz, but that's probably more a reflection of that. Buzz has been a high major coach for over a decade yeah. rather than, you know, the one year that uh, Brad Underwood has. But I'm a huge Brad Underwood fan. But all Buzz has done at two different places is win and get to the NCAA tournament. And he is from Texas. Yeah. They'll recruit the hell out of Texas. And there are so many good players there. And you can get them to Oklahoma State. Like, Oklahoma State has had some guys. Buzz Williams is going to get some guys. But you got to pay up. So what, do they want to do that? What about this Gottlieb talk? It's interesting. Like, I don't know. You know, Gottlieb played at a time where I didn't pay that much attention to the big Smart ball. player. So Yeah, but it's more like at that point, it's the connection to the school, right? Like, you're trying to rally the fan base around a bygone era, not unlike, obviously, what Jamie Pollard did in 2010 uh, by hiring Fred Hoiberg. But Fred had been, not in coaching, but in the business of basketball, whereas Gottlieb has been in the media. And I think what his sister is like the head coach at Cal, right? I honestly don't I know think that. she's. I think I she's know. a head coach somewhere. I think his dad was a coach, right? So, like, Gottlieb... His dad was a coach, yeah. yeah. Gottlieb knows... I think it's If that's what you want to do, I think go do it, get it done. I would be skeptical just like I would have been skeptical in 2010 about the Hoiberg hire because it feels desperate, but maybe it works out. Um, if you do hire Gottlieb, you hire him probably for cheap, like Iowa State did with Fred Hoiberg, and you spend big on assistance. You get him a former head coach, the Bobby Lutz type, um, and then you get him two killer recruiters and let him go from there. I think that's that's the only way you can do that and make it work. But that's still a – it's not a risky proposition, but like the – the path to success when you hire an unknown like that is relatively narrow. Where you go get you go get Buzz Williams, you know you're gonna win. Like that's yeah. No, like tie I, that up, you're gonna win. I don't think there's any question that you go after the proven guy like that if you can. I I, I don't. Let's go to Indiana because I the, I think Tom Crean's really good. I feel like he can go just about anywhere and win. I would love to have him in the Big Twelve. That, I think that'd be a lot of fun. I, I think Alford will take that job. That seems to be the prevailing thought. I think that's eventually what's going to happen. I'm just throwing this out there. I'm just going to wildly speculate. UCLA comes open. I know a very 
handsome young man who recently went to the NBA, hasn't had a lot of success in the NBA, maybe he's getting tired of the NBA, but a lot of success in college, completely turned a program around in one year in college. Billy Donovan did all that in Florida? Talking about Freddie. <laughs> oh, okay. Now, here's my thing. I don't think that Fred... I He's think not that, leaving the Bulls. Well, listen. Go ahead. Enough with your facts. We're just going to yeah, yeah, speculate yeah, 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 yeah. here. I don't think he's been good enough with the Bulls to get a job like UCLA. I think they would have a hard time hiring him at this point. But let's say if they did. Let's say that he had an opportunity. Do you think Fred would leave the Bulls for UCLA? I think that what he's done in the NBA probably has not taken taken any shine off of what he accomplished in college. Um, what so about I, that Pete Thamel piece we read, though? That was weird. I, uh, I mean, like, my whole deal is if Pete's writing that, somebody's telling him that. Like, is there some sort of... What is the overall opinion of Fred Hoiberg as a basketball coach right now? I mean, is that just one... If, if the, the piece that I'm talking about, um, I think that... What was Thamel doing? You just showed it to me. I didn't even read the whole thing. Yeah, he killed Fred for uh, the recruiting. I mean, I just I think it was an oversimplification of what was going on at Iowa State, which can happen, you know, with national stuff. It was about that his recruiting was unsustainable because the transfers were going to get in trouble, essentially. Okay. Um, well, UCLA is a top five job in the country, top ten job in the country. Top ten. Top ten, yeah. I mean, is Fred still – you think that he's still – Attractive to jobs like that? I think uh, absolutely, I do. But to the question you, you asked, I don't think Fred Hoiberg leaves the Chicago Bulls while he's under contract with the Chicago Bulls to, to get a for a college job. I just, I don't, like financially, I don't know why he would do that. And I think from a personality standpoint, the NBA is still where he wants to be, even if the last two years have been. You know, if not a nightmare, pretty damn close, I would think, with the way that they've gone. Um, and, again, like we talked about before, a lot of it is through the fault of the front office. Uh, but at the end of the day, everybody's responsible for their results. Um, Just like us in this great podcast. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, but, like, the dude still got $15 million on that contract. He's not walking away from that because, like, UCLA, they can – pay him like serious I don't even know that Alford makes three million a year right now but like well he's going to next year yeah one way or another well how about like like this is we're dovetailing into another conversation here really quickly but like Quanzo Martin making three five in Missouri Brad Underwood making three at Illinois like these coaching salaries are it's like football going nuts not to mention like Steve Prohm now the lowest paid coach in the league he's probably going to need a raise and if not a raise years because he's only got three left and, you know, coaches and particularly their agents. That's crazy to think that he only has three years left. Yeah, and agents and coaches and people recruiting against you make a big deal about that, about how you always got to have four or five years on your contract for recruiting purposes. So I would imagine that'll be a discussion that has happened or will happen with Iowa State. And that's where it gets fascinating to me with what Jamie Pollard does because, you know, the, the like, how much credit does he actually give Steve for the last two years? I give Steve a lot of credit, um, but there is. I mean, he he does kind of have to go out and 
prove himself now, like with it with his guys. Um, I think he would say that too. I mean, and he did say that. Yeah, like he. And part of the deal too is like, I think I was talking with Heft about this about how some people are still have questioned the last two years. I think it's fair to question the future. But, like, you look at the way this team was playing at the end of January and then you look at how they played through the Big 12 tournament and that second half yesterday, like, Prohm and his staff deserve a mountain of credit for getting this season to where it was. Like, that, this easily could have been an 11 seed in Dayton if things hadn't gone the way that they'd gone. Like, they were that inconsistent, like, coming off that West Virginia loss at home. Like, they were bad. And then they ended the season where I thought – playing, you know, maybe probably not as good as the five best teams in the country, but maybe in the ten. So, like, he did a really, really good job this year. But, he did it predominantly with players recruited by the previous staff. Now he's got to go out and get his own players and win some games. And so, like you said, Jamie Pollard's got an interesting negotiation ahead of him, because you got to give Steve credit for what he's done the last two years. But you also have to be cognizant of the fact, like, there's still a lot more for him to prove when you're talking about, you know, a five. You know, Jamie Pollard thinks in, you know, big picture. Like, you can't go and give him 10 years or well, something crazy like that. Mike, knowing Pollard, the way he does things, I would guess that they'll give him more years so than money. That's typically how they've done things. If you look at even Fred's. Even McDermott. Yeah. Rhodes. Rhodes, yeah. I mean, that's just but generally. But at some point, like, that 1.5 that he's making, that's going to become a problem if he continues to have success. And I wonder what Iowa State can pay when you look at Fred was only, make, only you know, 2.2 his last year. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at, but it's not the, the in this Environment, it's not, uh, you know, you're going to get bid out, outbid, you know, for some of these high level coaches. And if you want to continue to have the program that you've had for the last six years, you're going to have to spend like it. Let's get to the real conversation here, and that's these cheese curds that you have down here. I know, we haven't even opened them. What are they? They're, you've been talking about them, and I'm a little Wisconsin con- cheese curds. Should we open them? I'm a little bit concerned. So. <laughs> I pulled the trigger on these, like, really knowing that they could be a problem later. They uh, they were not in a refrigerator. They're called what? Squeaky curds? Well, they are, they are just squeaky. They're just called cheese uh, curds. But they're not like the breaded stuff you get at a... So, Heinz, this is right after we bought all the spotted cows. This is me opening it. Um, have at it, brother. I'm going to try one of these real quick. Wow, it really does squeak. I wouldn't lie to you. The problem is, we're a little concerned because they weren't in a refrigerator. They feel cold. Like I think they were just moved to the counter. But like I don't know that I'm gonna eat more than a couple. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I mean, that tasted good. But the more I tasted it, the more concerned I am. They got a little sweat on them. Yeah, it's way too. There's way too much moisture with what I just had. I agree. Like, this is problematic. But we're in Wisconsin. I had to buy them. Like, it's like a rule of mine. You get spotted cow, you get cheese curds. And, like, if you're, if our listeners don't know, I went to school in this state. So 
I have a little bit of a affinity for its uh, finer things. I showed me around Madison the other day, which was a nice town. Yeah, you, I, did, we, you didn't get the full effect. We had to. We were in, in a, a bit of a hurry to get to Milwaukee. The shout out to the Echo Tap, the Echo Burger. Holy hell, was that good? That was a great burger the other day. It was a a regular like hamburger patty. Two patties. Well, there are two hamburger patties? Yeah, you didn't even know that? Yeah. I thought there was only one hamburger patty. I think there was two. No, there was a brat patty on top of it. No, there was an actual brat. It wasn't a patty. It was like sliced in half. Shut up. Yes. You didn't investigate this burger very well. Well, it was so There was like an actual brat on the burger, not a brat patty. I don't, is a brat patty a thing? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Brat burgers. Do them all the time. You just buy them at the store. But anyways, yeah. No, that was good. What? And then uh, American and cheddar and uh, pepper, pepper jack cheese. What's your most memorable memory from the trip that you can <laughs> that, that you can say on the podcast? Um, you know, that's interesting. I think meeting meteorologist Mark Payton. Uh, meeting Milwaukee meteorologist and uh, legend Mark Payton was certainly a highlight. I think, you know, it's always... You guys should sh- seriously, like, look up Mark Baden on Twitter. <laughs> God, this would be so funny if you did this. And you guys should all... If you go onto my Twitter profile, it says, in it, Mark Baden protege. Go and tweet at this guy and be like, man, I hear you're a freaking legend. And just... It'd be really epic. He's we would the, appreciate He's it. the Bill Brasky of Milwaukee. Yeah, he's been, he, determined. He's a combination of Bill Brasky and Ed Wilson. That's it's a fearsome twosome right there. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, to the highlight, I didn't get to spend as much time in the locker room after the game last night as I normally do on a season ender. Um, but I thought, you know, the way Naz talked about his time at Iowa State, I think, is always, you know, the guy's really passionate about Iowa State and about Iowa State basketball. And so that'll probably be the thing that sticks with you, I think, just to see, you know, his reaction. I think, you know, the Prome looked so and like downtrodden, annoyed, and sad at that podium, uh, which he usually does after losses. But that'll that'll stick with me too, probably. I think mine was Prome after the game. Just kind of, he got a little agitated and was like, "These are my guys." Uh, I don't know if you saw the clip. Um, you told me about it. I yeah. It, listen, I mean, in his spot where he's at, I I I don't think he could have. I mean, part of your job as a head coach, and a lot of coaches who failed don't understand this, part of your job is to rally the troops. I mean, you've got to perform, but part of your job, I mean, that's the job of a of a introductory press conference is to rally, and I didn't think Prohm did that very well, and I was critical of him when he did it. And part of what this guy has really grown into, I think, is being comfortable in his own skin at Iowa State and just saying, hey, this is who I am. Not going to apologize for it. And I liked what he said last night. Now we'll see. It'll be an interesting offseason. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a reason there's a, a cliche about you don't want to be the guy that follows the guy. Yeah. You know, and Fred Hoiberg at Ames, Iowa, is the guy. And Steve stepped into a really tough spot. And I think, you know, what he wanted to do was not rock the boat the last two years, which I think was the if you looked at where you were at, I think the smart thing to do. But I think what he realized last year and even more this year is that you gotta 
you can't just acquiesce everything. You've got to probably take more ownership than not, especially, I mean, with the way they, like last year was different too, and you got a guy like George Niang, where like you got you can't change much because that dude, like you got, you got to play a certain way to, to maximize what he's doing. And like that's the other thing when we talk about like an end of an era, I think like the tight the the personality types of guys that Fred recruited are going to be different than the personality types that Steve Prome recruits. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I mean, you talk you know Steve talked multiple times about Deontay Burton socks annoying him <laughs> because you know they're different. Uh, they're 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 an expression of his kind of quirky personality. I think he loves Deontay Burton. He loves all these guys that Fred recruited, but I don't think like him on his own would go out and recruit a, a quirky kind of dude like Deontay or a, an emotional kind of guy like Jameel McKay. He's recruiting Solomon Young. Yeah, Solomon Young. He won't talk. Like, won't talk, won't smile, like no nonsense, you know. So I think like there's, you know, one's not right and one's not wrong. They're just the way, you know, people are and the way, you know, you choose to surround yourself with people. So. I just I think that'll be a different type of personality. I don't even remember how I got onto this point. I don't either. <laughs> We've been going for an hour. <laughs> Have we really? Yeah, we just killed an hour. Where are we at? I, I, I don't know. Look here, we're, we're in Marion. We're in Marion. It's almost a Cedar Rapids. Um, Good job out of us. Marion, home of uh, Marcus Page, right? Yeah. Good, good do think, pull. Do you think they got a statue of Marcus Page in Marion? No. They should have one of that shot he hit against Villanova, even though they lost. That chat was awesome. Oh, here's another one. Jay Wright to UCLA. You heard it here first. Okay, walk me through this, because you mentioned that earlier. and I No, I've just heard that over the years that that's his job that he's always wanted. Why? Well, why didn't he take it last time that there, was open? There was him and um, the other guy who was always mentioned for that one was Dixon back in the day. I knew that one. Yeah. I think that... I, if I you're missed, Jay Wright, I, I missed another turn here. Damn it, Hines! But to be fair, in my defense, I was driving fast and efficient enough that I took two minutes off our oh. previous estimated arrival time. If you're if you're di- if you're if you're right and you're going to leave Villanova at all, isn't right now the perfect time to do that? Yeah, you got your title, and like you know, not to uh, plug NBC Sports here, but uh, why not? Go for yeah, it. Yeah, Rob Doster wrote an interesting story about like so. Chris Jenkins, Josh Hart have had a nice four-year run here. Yeah, I'm going to have another one of these. Curves. I know. I'm worried for you. Pray for me. <laughs> um, oh. the, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to die on this podcast. Uh, they obviously won a national title, so their legacy is cemented. They're great players, on and on and on. But the other times that they went to the tournament, they got bounced earlier than they should have. Yeah, um, and that was obviously the knock on Jay for a long time. So maybe like a breath of fresh air at a new spot That's what I'm would work. But he just wrote a book. I, I feel like it's he's hard. so Hollywood, man. I feel like it's hard when you won a national title like that to leave two years later. You may be right. But what like, makes him UCLA is a great job. What makes him squeaky? I mean, I don't know, man. I'm not a cook or a scientist. <coughs> I'm more concerned about what's making them sweat because that, that's what's going to get us in trouble here, I think. Well, I wonder, can the podcast pick up the squeaky? That's what I'm wondering. That I don't, even if it does, like, I don't think we should try to do that because it sounds gross. If somebody's listening, like, in headphones. Yeah. We should probably end this right now. I, why? We're, we're, we're killing it. We're right in an hour. We're lost in Marion, Iowa. <laughs> We're, we're not lost. We're looking for the Marcus Page statue. 
right, who gets UCLA? <coughs> so you're saying Alford to Indiana. Alford to Indiana, I'm very confident in. Um, who gets Oklahoma State? We should probably only talk about jobs that are open. Okay, who gets Oklahoma State? I mean, I think. What if Alford wins a title this year? Like that UCLA team could win the title. Their yeah, defense, but Alford's squealy enough to their still leave. Defense lead. sucks, but their offense is awesome. Well, if if, if they won a national title, it cha- I mean, he's got the ball boys. You know, and that's that's intriguing. Yeah, but I guess like only one, like neither of them are as good as Lonzo, and only one of them is probably a, a high major difference maker. Is what I've heard. Oh, okay. Is what I've heard. I could, you know, that could. You know, would uh, would Mark Few take UCLA? No chance. Yeah, because I mean, he's had so many opportunities to leave, well, and the whole reason he stayed at Gonzaga is like because it's not UCLA. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. Um, okay, who takes who gets Oklahoma State? I mean, I think Buzz is probably the favorite if Vegas were to put odds on it, but they've got to be able to pay him, which I'm not confident that they will. Okay, what about some mid majors? Like, that's the other thing is, like, you're not getting Archie Miller, I wouldn't think. Like, who, like Will Wade? Could you go get Stillwater is not a destination location for most people. No. It's, that's what makes a Gottlieb intriguing. Here's the thing about Gottlieb. I think, like, like if Holder wanted that, he would have done it last time. Now, maybe... The maybe getting bouncing, spurred like yeah. he has. But, like, I also... Did you read his comments from his press conference yesterday? I read some of them. I read the ones that made Twitter. It, yeah, it felt like he was kind of pandering to Gottlieb. That he was saying, "Well, of course we'll talk to Doug." Not a, not a. Like I feel like just the what he said made me feel like he felt like he had to do that out of lip service and out of obligation rather than a genuine interest in Gottlieb. And maybe I'm wrong. I don't know Mike Holder, well, so I could be totally misreading the situation. Well, here, here's one thing I've learned over the years of doing this: is you judge a. All, like, if you look at the Jamie Pollard hires, for the most part, they're pretty consistent as far as the type of dudes that he's hiring. So, who out there mimics Brad Underwood? Buzz is perfect, 100%. I mean, they're a spitting image of one another. Uh, but let's think of that, though, at a lower price tag. What about the Middle Tennessee State guy? Kermit Davis? Yeah. What about Kermit Davis? That would be interesting. I think he's in the mix at LSU, which might be more in his wheelhouse if you were to get it. I mean, Muscleman has been brought up, but I don't think Muscleman fits in that that mold, although he is, you know, a grizzled vet of the coaching industry. What do you have to pay to get Tom Crean at Oklahoma State? Oh, well, it depends if he's in the mix. Like elsewhere. Like, I thought he would have been an interesting fit at uh, NC State, which obviously they hired uh, Keats. I think he would have been an interesting fit in Missouri. Obviously, they fired, or they hired Quanzo. So I guess I don't know, like, who you're bidding against. At this point, I don't know if anybody you're bidding against unless he's willing just to take a job to take a job. So, like, could you get Cream for two and a half? Maybe. Maybe even less. Maybe you can get Cream for two. I don't know. I think he, he strikes me as a guy that's not going to want to sit out. He's going to want to go take a job right away. That's why I kind of think that he's he's right there. I think he fit in there, man. Like, he's kind of a weird dude. Well, he's like Harbaugh. 
their their yeah. their family. Except he's not quite as uh, charismatic as uh, our man Harbaugh. Yeah, I don't know. It's I haven't I've been so locked in on Iowa State. I haven't done enough research on any. I mean, I right hope Cre- it would be great if Cre- like if it's not Gottlieb. Like this is just from a media perspective. If it's not Gottlieb, Crean would be entertaining and just that, like, he is the least photogenic person. Like, there are so many funny photos of Tom Crean on the internet. Have you noticed this? No, I, but I need to look into it. There are so many funny photos of Tom Crean, although he's, I wouldn't, it'd be tough to to cover him because, like, he's made Indiana beat writers wait, like, hours after a game to do his availability. Oh, really? Yeah, just, like, literally hours. Just to be a dick? I mean... I, just I, you I, I, I don't want to, you know, speak to the man's uh, intentions without having talked to him. But I, I knew, I know he wasn't doing it to be nice. Interesting. I don't know. We'll see. Um, oh, oh, I know the other thing. This Baylor open because it sounds like. I mean, we're both hearing it, and there's a lot of national guys that Drew is a little bit antsy. Yeah, down there in Waco. Like, some of this, like, you always got to be worried. Is it an echo chamber? Like, are we all talking to the same people? And is it just an agent trying to get them a raise? Yes. But That happens all the time. But this is so prevalent of people talking about it that I, I don't think it's the case. I think I think Drew is gettable if, if somebody wants to go out and get him. Like, to me, like, if, if Alford says no to Indiana, like... Scott Drew would be an interesting second choice. That's what I'm saying, because I'm just looking at this Big 12-wise right now, and I'm thinking we could have a couple openings in the league. Well, and, like, here's the other thing. When you talk about dominoes, if Scott Drew does leave Baylor, who in the hell is taking a job at Baylor right now? They got to go way down Texas mid, low to mid-major school and find somebody with Baptist. I mean, that's tough. Scott Drew's perfect at Baylor. And has had a ton of success. <laughs> and I just, given the the stain that is on that entire athletic department and that entire entire university right now, which, you know, if, if all the rumors are to believe are a big reason why Scott Drew is potentially looking elsewhere, like, it's going to be really hard to attract candidates there. Like, for that reason, because, like... People aren't gonna be want to be like, oh yeah, I just took a job at Baylor because right now Baylor doesn't mean uh, you know success on the field. It it means sexual assaults and potential cover-ups and allegations of cover-ups and institutional dereliction of duty. That's what it means right now. Like that's gonna be really hard for people to take a job there. In my opinion, totally agree. Yeah, it would it would be a Chris Beard type of hire. Like a not a huge sexy name, it would have to be a guy. Yeah, I mean like Chris Beard got UNLV. Like I don't even think they could get a Chris Beard. I mean maybe you could, you throw enough money around, I don't know, but like they got that Baptist money. I don't, I don't know what that means. They got all the private school money. Okay. How much are they paying Drew now? Like two seven? It's two impossible to find out. Well they gotta file their tax returns or whatever. I mean, he yeah, he's close to seven or two. He's close to three. How much more does he think Baylor's gonna pay him? 
It's like, and that's why I, I also don't, don't think like this is a leveraging thing to get a raise. No, I don't they're think not, it. At this point, for him there, it's, I don't think this is a yeah. financial. Well, and like if they bump you, they're gonna bump you to what? Like three one, three two. Does that make like is that life changing for you when you're already making do you, do you get two a, seven in Waco, Texas? I get so annoyed with these type of conversations like that. I get it. I mean, half the, it's agents leveraging like that's their job. Yeah. To do that for their, and then they in return make more money. If they're not doing that, they're doing a disservice to their clients. Exactly. They have that's a why you, responsibility to their clients. That's why you pay them to do that. Yeah. But it, it is a little bit nauseating to fans. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. Because like it's it's not based on reality. It's based on. And, and that's not always the case, but it, a lot of time it's ego. It's well, and it's based like the way that the leverage is used is based on. I, when I say threat, I don't mean don't mean that literally. I mean it in terms of like these vague threats of outside influence and opportunities that aren't necessarily always real. And I think that's where it comes into like you're not being forthright in the way you're doing business when you're leveraging. Uh, situations that aren't real. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, that's, and I think that's what annoys fans. I'm sure drives athletic directors and athletic oh. administrators bananas. Yeah, and I got I mean, bananas. And yeah, no, it's always now you know we've been talking too long. And, and I think that could be part of the deal too. Man, I don't even know if we should get into the Pollard Hoiberg deal because <laughs> that's like a whole other hour conversation. But I don't think Pollard likes playing that game. I, I think Jamie would tell you that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't yeah. think any of them do. And I mean, I think but Jamie's that, just very brash about the way he. Yeah, and I mean, I think business. like I'm sure having to redo Fred's deal every year was not fun for him for a variety of reasons. You know, cost certainty. You know, chief among them, and like just at some point, I'm sure you're just like, okay, we just did a new contract. How many new contracts do you need? But, like, the other flip side of the coin, that means you're winning. Yeah. And that, that's a good thing. And you're thing. making money if and you're, you're winning. Making, like, I mean, I, I should probably, like, do my job and find out how much money they're making. But, like, when they expanded Johnny's, you know, Jamie talked about how many you know, new Cyclone Club or whatever the hell it's called members they've got. And, like, the thresholds for that are multiple thousands of dollars. Like, where you're, like, you, that basketball program has just been generating so much more money over the last few years and you know the coaches are going to take as big a piece of that pie as they can get and you can't really fault them for it no nope. I mean, that's i mean there's american capitalism that's the way it works and if you're not going to pay the players there's going to be a ton of money on the table for everybody else and that's the way it goes i mean and i guess like i don't have a great answer for that but i, I agree with you i'm sure jamie did not want to redo any coach's contract with the frequency that he ended up doing Fred's because of the success and again because of that which turned out to be real but existential threat of the NBA hey look we're in Cedar Rapids and we didn't find the Marcus Page statue we did not who's a famous Cedar Rapids alum um, the Quaker Oats guy <laughs> isn't that in Cedar Rapids yeah there's the, the Iowa in here yeah, but I don't Man, like, part of Iowa I'm from, Cedar Rapids is like another country. Like, for real. Like, we didn't ever get... First time I ever went to Cedar Rapids was I was covering state volleyball about 10 years ago. I've always found Iowa, like, is very... 
provincial as a whole, which I think most Midwestern states are. Certainly Minnesota is where I'm from. Yeah. But it's very provincial in its towns, too. I feel like Des Moines operates separately from the Quad Cities, operates separately. No question. From uh, Council Bluffs, operates separately from Dubuque in a way that's a little bit unique. No other question. places I've lived. Well, when, you're, when you grow up in western Iowa like I did, you don't even go to Des Moines. Like, if you're going to the city, you're going to Omaha. Yeah. Or even Kansas City to a, le- to a lesser extent. Like, Des Moines, like, of all the, of, of the three, that was the one I visited by far the least. The only time I went to Des Moines was when, you know, we were going to a high school state event or my mom worked for the state. So every once in a while, we'd have to go up to the Capitol and do something. But we, I mean, I, I was secluded in southwest Iowa, man. I lived in a bubble. With the Des Moines, we went to Omaha a lot, though. I've only been to Omaha like twice in my life. Let me, can I critique your home state for Absolutely. a minute? Absolutely. There's plenty to critique. You guys do not have 10,000 lakes. You're right. We've got like 50,000. Total lie. You're a liar. What are you I've talking looked, about? I have looked at the map, and there are not 10,000 of those things. There's way more than 10,000. Like, that's a verifiable fact. What is the difference between a, it, What's know? the difference between a lake and a pond? Because I think that's... I think that's the real question here. I mean, because if if I get to count every farm pond in Iowa, you're still at like seven. There's no water anywhere in this state, and it, and like when it does exist, it's man-made. So is it like you can't with, drive a boat around it? Like that might be the distinguishable. Uh, I'm not saying we have more lakes than you. I'm saying that I think you guys take a lot of liberties calling ponds lakes in Minnesota. I think that there may be a kernel of truth to that because where I grew up, there was a lake called Lake Farquhar, and like far what? Farquhar. Okay. How about that name, right? That thing is not a lake; it's a pond. So if you put a name on it, it's a lake. Is how you guys put it? Well, I, I don't think so because like you can name a pond. Like isn't it like on Golden Pond? Like it was it on Golden Lake? Well. But if Lake Farquhar is not a real... Do you think anyone has talked about Lake Farquhar as much as we are right now? Do you think anybody has ever mentioned Lake Farquhar on a podcast in the history of the internet? Dude, like, I don't know, man. How about that name, though, Farquhar? I haven't even thought of Farquhar in some time. My point is, I think you guys embellish the amount of lakes that you actually have. I mean, that's just not true. But, like, here's the deal. There is no water anywhere in this state, and it's depressing. I'm not. A, I'm not a rivers guy. You guys got rivers. I'm a lake guy. No, we don't have a lot of lakes. I'll. I'll give you that. And you don't get a lot of lakes in Minnesota until you get like north of Fairbow too. See, that's until you get to like Fairbow, you're basically still just in Iowa. Only Minnesota. I've seen her driving to Vikings games. So you only see the southern parts of it. Yeah. You gotta get like north. Of, well, once you get to the cities, the lakes start. If popping only up. I had a friend who had a cabin on a pond. <laughs> yeah, you should get one of those. <laughs> Very well played. Very well played. Are we just gonna do this podcast no. so we get back to Des Moines? We need to. We actually need to wrap it up because otherwise the file is gonna be too big and we're not gonna be able to <laughs> upload it. Do you think anybody made it to the Farquhar discussion? There's a few degenerates that are still hanging on. And to those people, I think we should say goodbye. I'll give you a tip of the cap, and uh, I'm going to eat another cheese curd and endanger my life. Pray for our colons. Thanks for listening.